Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 614 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd with Joe. Joe, how are we doing today? I'm doing good. It's too late at night, but I have to hit the Rattler before we continue. Oh, I didn't know Spectrox Rattler. Well, before you see, it comes the way that I get it is before you, I crush it up and snort it. Right, right. Or uh, I could feel from being around the cats today that uh, I could feel like my allergies flaring up a little bit, and, the, and I take a Zyrtec, and mm-hmm. it actually works pretty quickly. And I don't want to be digging at my eyes and like having that the whole time that we're recording, you know. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. I just like to think you use like uh, uh, a, a doll of uh, Roddy Piper to grind it up. That's what I like to think. You know, have him step on it. Some step well, on deck. <laughs> now, if, if I now, and this is funny that you say that. So there was very few that had it, but there was um, from the '90s the WWE action figures. Mm-hmm. They did like an action, like they weren't just like pieces of plastic, like. Right. You know, you would pull their fist back and they would punch or like you would pull their arm back and there'd be like a spring loaded thing in it or whatever. Right. Right. And there were a couple couple people that had a stomp where like you would move their arm up and down. And then by moving their arm up and down, they would do a stomp. Mm -hmm. And the only one that I can remember off the top of my head that had that was the million dollar man. If there was a Roddy Piper that had the stomping motion, I would absolutely be using that to smash up my Spectrox. That would be fantastic. Right. That would be a good uh, doll video for you to put on the Instagrams, Joe. I'm not on Instagram. Well, with that, it's an Instagram when you when you smash it up. But anyway, would you what like do to we know got us? on the show tonight, my friend? Yep. News. Um, the passing of someone pivotal to the creation of Wizard Magazine has passed. Um, Brubaker teasing something else. Um, and the return of Homelander done right, Joe. Oh my goodness. I can't believe you said that. Right. Conventions, what we read last week, which was both Batman 125 and Saga 60, what we're looking forward to this week, uh, the battle for second place, AKA Todd and Joe go rogue. Um, Todd's art attack returns with an absolute vengeance this week. And finally, spoiler-filled talk of Miss Marvel, the season finale of The Boys, and a feature-length film called Thor, Love and Thunder. A.K.A. Thor 4. Thor 4, okay. I don't know nothing about no Love and Thunder. Mm, that's what they used to call me in high school, Love and Thunder. They did? Yes. No, that one guy did. <laughs> okay. Go, Todd, Love and Thunder! <laughs> uh, so... Um, let's kicking off the news. Uh, sadly, as Todd mentioned, uh, you know, we, we seem to be talking about this quite a bit more often, uh, these days with people in the comics industry, uh, passing away. And this one is, you know, an editor and co-founder of wizard, Pat McCallum, uh, passed away last week. Uh, he was, you know, there was no, uh, information that came out, uh, that said what the cause was. Uh, I know he wasn't an older guy. I would say he might've been in his like early fifties at the most. Right. Um, but he was, uh, you know, when wizard kind of went on under in 2006, he ended up popping up, 
uh, over at DC, and he was there, um, you know, up until, you know, like 2019. And, you know, whatever your feelings on Wizard Magazine and its place in the business, I know there's some people out there that will tell you that it made everything stupider. (laughs) And I know that era of DC Comics, a lot of people have questions in regards to how the editorial was handled in a lot of instances. But, um, you know, this guy seems like he was, you know, kind of universally beloved online. You didn't see a lot of people running him down. Anybody that had interactions with him, anybody that he was an editor for at DC had a lot of nice things to say about him. And he seems like someone who's going to be very, very missed in the comics industry. Yes. I mean, I really he was somebody behind the scenes that I didn't know. I heard the name, but I yes. really don't have any uh affiliation to the to the person you know what i mean like he isn't somebody that, that i remember fondly or negatively which is sad but i do know how important wizard magazine was for a while you know what i mean so right and uh you know he was a dan Dio guy you know how could you beat that right right for for better or for worse mm-hmm. um he was kind of the the you know the editorial force behind rebirth um, some would say like rebirth is kind of what helped get DC back on track after like new 52 and a bunch of hiccups mm-hmm. that happened there with that five year plan. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's just, um, seems like he was someone who was very well liked and, uh, you know, obviously it's sad when anyone passes away, but you know, someone who seemed to be a good one passing away that that's rough, you know? Yes, I agree. Uh, also, this this kind of uh, pays if you're a subscriber to those newsletters or the free versions of people's sub stacks that I've mentioned many, many moons ago. Uh, but Ed Brubaker has announced his next project, a uh, secret thing that he's been working on for quite some time. And it's actually uh, something called that's from the or the something called The Fall that was put out through Drawn and Quarterly like almost 20 years ago. Mm hmm. And they're kind of doing a remastered edition of it. They're kind of cleaning it up. Uh, he and Jason Lutz, who I'm unfamiliar with. Right. Um, it was actually something that was in Dark Horse Presents and then went over to Drawn and Quarterly. And now it's going to be uh, recollected uh, once again, you know? Yep. Uh, I didn't I didn't read this project when it first came out, but uh, they're reprinting it as uh, Ed Brubaker. I'm probably going to pick it up. Yeah, this was, like, right on the cusp before, like, you know, um, so I think when I found out about Brubaker and then I start trying to get some of his older stuff, this was one of those things that was either, like, so far out of print or just not completely collected. There was, like, no way to really keep up with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's interesting to see because I guess uh, they announced that Reckless is done, like, the fifth and final story is, like, ready to go to the printer. Right. And... You know, they did put five original graphic novels out in two years. They're doing a remaster of this. But then, like, who knows what Brubaker's going to do next? I'm sure it's going to be more or less the same model that he's been doing before. It's been pretty successful over these last couple of years for him. Yep. He's not doing, like, ongoing, not ongoings, but, like, maxi series, like like some of the other stuff, like 1 to 24 or whatever. Or he's going to do it in hardcovers. It doesn't matter. It's going to sell. He's going to be all right, Joe. Right. He's, he's not going to be worried about uh, any paychecks anytime no, here no. soon, you know? Uh, so also, as Todd mentioned in the uh, news section, the return of Homelander done right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
you know, uh, irredeemable and incorruptible, the uh, side project, uh, like the ancillary book from Boom uh, by Mark Wade. Uh, how old is that now? That's like 13 years ago, 14 years ago, right? Yes, yes. Uh, so it is coming back. I guess there's going to be new stories, but ahead of the new stories, uh, they're going to be doing a Kickstarter for the complete deluxe library of the original series. Right. And I would like to mention in that, you know, the two uh, Omnibuy they're doing of Incorruptible and Irredeemable. Did you know there was an Insufferable, Joe? No. Unfortunately, oh. I was kind of off the book by that point. Right. Well, it wasn't at uh, it wasn't at uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Boom. At, uh, boom. It was at Oni, I think. I'm not sure what it was like. It was something that when they when they took it away and uh, Mark Wade took over the thrill bent, I think was the name of the company. Uh, he decided to do a uh, a sequel uh, like uh, it. What they didn't say it was uh, an actual it was a spiritual sequel series called Insufferable. Um, so I, I never knew that. If I had known that, I probably would have picked it up. So I find that completely interesting. But And that's getting part of this. And I wonder if when they do the Netflix series, if Insufferable will be part of it at all. Uh, because the two of them did it. You know what I mean? Right. And the Kickstarter had a goal of $10,000. And mm-hmm. as of this recording, it's at 83000 mm-hmm. Uh So I think it's getting done. Um, you know, obviously because it's oversized, hardcover, slipcase, whatever, whatever, whatever. There's a lot of your lower rewards where you're getting the first issue, uh, different variants, signatures, gold fo- foil, um, digital bundles and stuff like that. Uh, it's not until you hit the $160 level mm-hmm. where you get these standard edition hardcovers of uh, Irredeemable, Incorruptible, and Insufferable. Right. And then like $250 is the Deluxe, uh, $500 is the Masterpiece Editions, uh, $1,500 is the Gold Masterpiece Editions, and so on and so forth. Right. I'll take as many as I can get, Joe. Of the and gold this, standard. Yeah, and this is uh this is a series that as they mentioned there is very long out of print. And a lot of the similarities that folks have drawn uh to this and the boys, and the boys did come out before this. Um but you could definitely see if you've read this and you're watching the boys TV show, uh you could definitely see where there are some parallels, you know? Yes, yes. And I forget who it was. There was a listener who was, I remember he, they would tweet us every once in a while that they wish this would come back into print. Um, I can't, I'm trying to find it, but I can't. And so that's kind of cool because I know that, you know, long gone out of print now with Netflix, the back issues, you know, got a little bit, of hot, a little bit hot. Um, I'm glad that people can get like at least, you know, the omnibus format at, you know, I mean, it's still expensive, but you'd still be able to get it for your collection. Right. And and I will say that this is one of those um this is one of those books where as the numbers were starting to go up a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. uh that I went ahead and I kind of sold the single issues for what I can because I had everything backed up digitally, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And uh, now they're a lot higher than what they were when I sold them. But I'm like, ah, whatever it is, what it is, you know? That's why I'll never sell anything again, Joe. Right, exactly. I've learned my lesson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, listen, there was supposed to be a purge this week, but I don't see that happening, you know? Funko? No, no, no. I Like, see, I would never say that I'm actually going to do a purge and then buy more stuff. Oh, that's that's just the ramblings of an insane man. That's true. Um, but yeah, I don't know if like if you missed out on that book, uh, you know, get the Kickstarter. You know, you can get like the full. I think the digital stuff, like the entire collection digitally, is like sixty five bucks. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait for them to print stuff in February of twenty twenty three. You know, right? That's all. You can get that stuff immediately. And uh, Todd, you'd also mentioned uh, conventions this weekend. Yes. Uh, now, I know you, Todd, yourself, were at a convention with the Fancy Gentleman, a.k.a. my co-host, Adam, over on Ad Odds with Wrestling. Right. Uh, this past weekend, you could hear more about that over on After Dark this week, the special 400th episode spectacular. Mm-hmm. May not actually be spectacular. Yeah, it might be. Uh but uh, this weekend in Houston, Texas, is Comic Palooza. Uh, not a ton of notable comic folks. Uh, I saw Jock is going to be there. Rags Morales is going to be there. Uh, professional wrestlers, Hangman Adam Page and Adam Bebe Cole are going to be there. Okay. That's why we can't have people with the same first name. It gets confusing. Uh, but... Uh, guests of note for you, Todd, on the list. Uh, Christopher Eccleson. Met him. He got his marked photo with me. Okay. Alice Cooper. I met him, too, and he got a marked photo with me. How about Anthony Starr? That one is on my list uh, <laughs> to meet. And if I get, I want to get press credentials from this show. And I have like three questions to ask them and maybe two and or three of them are cape related. Uh, so I absolutely would want to get a picture with them. Mm-hmm. I would absolutely get the Mark picture. You'd bring milk, wouldn't you? I would absolutely bring milk with me. I knew it. And I would be, a, I would be a little sad if he wasn't in the full Homelander regalia. Now they, oh. I know the people who do the, the comic book stuff typically don't dress up. I could just go fight some schmo on the comic book floor that's dressed up like Homelander. <laughs> but, like, uh, I, because I don't know who Anthony Starr is, like, I look at his social media and, like, apparently he's, into, he's like, from New Zealand. Right. And he's into soccer. Oh. Um, but I don't know who that guy is. I know who Homelander is. Speaking of the suit, and I'm going to say it here instead of later on in the show when we talk about the boys. So J- Jensen Ackles or whatever his name is, Soldier Boy, is in an interview, and he's like, all right, so they tell me I'm going to be playing Soldier Boy. So it's like six months out or whatever, and I'm out there, and I'm banging it out. I'm lifting, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm working out to get bigger for the suit, right? And I show up on set. And I'm all like, you know, gassed up and everything. I did all this work. I'm miserable. I'm miserable. And Anthony Starr goes, you did all that work? Why don't you just have man more muscles to the suit? It's what I do. <laughs> and Jensen's like, well, <laughs> I guess I'm stupid kind of deal. I did all that work and all the suit, all the muscles are the suit on Anthony Starr. Oh, that's fantastic. I agree. 
Work smarter, not harder, they say. Mm-hmm. So the uh, link to that convention will be in the show notes, uh, along with links to everything else, including soon-to-be-named network, soon-to-be-namednetwork.com, soon-to-be-namednetwork.tumblr.com, all the shows in the soon-to-be-named network anytime they go live outside of their individual sites, outside of their individual RSS feeds, your podcatchers, you can get them all in one handy-dandy spot. And anytime those folks from those shows go on other shows and they let me know they went on those shows, you can find them all over at soon-to-be-namednetwork.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, be sure to check out uh, our friend Mike Sterling's uh, blog, Progressive Rune. Uh, be sure to check out our friend Kevin's blog, Mask Library. Be sure to check out our friend uh, Rick's Chop Shop, all those cool uh, resin and glow-in-the-dark uh, figures that he does. Our friend Jason's self-published comic, Jupiter. Our friend Chris's self-published comic, Battle Monsters. We have a lot of friends. We're a very friendly podcast. We're, you know, you're friendly and you love everybody, Joe. That's right. I'm a nice guy and I love everybody. That's it, yep. It's been a long time since I've had to say that because uh, I actually am a nice guy and I love everyone. I get yeah. I get accused of being a defender of a per- certain person from a certain city in a certain <laughs> state. <laughs> and I have to walk that back real quick, you know? Oh, yeah. I thought he had a grace period. Uh, so they call they call me a lover of this person. I wouldn't say I'm a lover of this person, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not an immediate naysayer of this person. Right. You wish him no specific harm kind of a deal. Uh, definitely. I, I, I wish the, I wish the best for him. I hope he comes back from his, uh, injury sooner than later, you know? Gotcha. Uh, but definitely check all the links. All that's going to be in the show notes, as well as links to our comic book shop, Comics on the Green. It's not like Todd and I's personal shop, but it is the shop that we go to and buy our comics, uh, that I am coming up on 30 years and Todd is maybe a couple months, if not a year or so over that. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, of going to that store and if you don't have a comic book store in your area or you don't have a good comic book store in your area let our store be your store um you could sign up for their mail order subscription service uh you could have stuff sent to you weekly bi-weekly or monthly no matter how it is that you get your stuff sent to you uh there's a chance that you can get a sketch from our good friend becky on there and you can go check out her social media uh for all the uh commissions and prints and process and everything else that she does uh, a fine burgeoning artist in her own right yes sir uh so let's get into what we read from this past week where would you todd like to begin i'm going to start with the book i was looking forward to most batman 125 written by chip zadarsky art by jorge Jimenez, also with a backup catwoman backup story with Belene ortega as the writer or the artist and also chip zadarsky writing that so uh but i'm going to do the main story first uh it starts out kind of a you know uh a a while ago because they do a, a bit at the beginning where alfred is still alive and he's here beeping and there's a red light in the bat cave which you know will come up a little bit later in the story. Uh, Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne, who's lost most of his money, he's still pretty rich, but uh, because of that, he's been delving into the Bat persona more because he doesn't get invited to the rich people parties and everything like that. Um, he's you know, decided to call Catwoman for a bit, but when she answers, there's somebody else there. So he kind of 
doesn't want to go on with that. And then the bat signal lights and he goes off on the case, which the, uh, the case on, in this book is um, someone is killing socialites and Batman's going to go find them. He ends up catching the person who did it, pretty much the trigger man um, and asks him, you know, what's going on. And we find out that somehow uh, the penguins involved. He's basically saying everybody who's inherited their money is in Gotham is in big, big trouble. Anybody who inherited over $5 million dollars, I'm coming for them, which is weird because Penguin usually hides in the shadows as like a businessman he hides. So this is kind of weird. Um, so we find out that Tim Drake is back as Robin, which, by the way, I marked out for because best Robin, probably Tim Drake Robin. And he's kind of worried about Bruce because, you know, he's given up the Bruce Wayne lifestyle most of the time. And he's becoming, you know, worse and worse because he's following he's doing being Batman way too much. But he's like, well, we got to go do this. I know where there's a, a socialite uh, party. Um, I can get in even though they don't really like me anymore. Um, but I'm going to go check it out. He goes in disguise as Bruce Wayne. Uh, Robin, you know, goes in the background, sets some stuff up. Uh, Penguin attacks. Maybe it's not Penguin. I'm not going to go into too much of that. Um, and Tim Drake ends up getting hurt. And Batman kind of has to make a decision um, that kind of reminds him of something he did with Jason Todd years ago. Um, and he ends up confronting the Penguin. And that's as far as I'm going to go on that. He ends up, Penguin ends up laying out what his real plan is. And it's an interesting plan. I actually kind of, kind of really, really like it. And it kind of puts Batman back on his heels. And then the, the beeping that I said from the beginning of the issue comes back into play in current time. And we, you know, are, we're introduced to something new, uh, and I want to see where that goes. Um, this is actually the Bat book I've been wanting for a long, long time. Batman does some cool stuff when he goes undercover. He has Robin do like leave bits of his costume around so he can end up using Batman in a, in a dress shirt with just a bat belt and a mask on is the coolest looking thing I've seen in a while because Jorge Menez art is perfect in this. I love the Penguin um, all around. I really love the story. It brought it back to, you know, he's not fighting uh, gods before the beginning of time in metal and giant Joker dragons in the sky. It's him fighting his rogues gallery in the city, trying to do that when the penguin basically trips him up. And anytime, like I said, you can have Tim Drake. That's a bonus. Um, I really, really love this Batman, the main story. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. So I guess we'll, treat the second story separately. That's fine. Um, so I like Tim Drake, Robin, when teamed with Bruce Wayne, Batman, mm -hmm. uh, that's the best pairing. Let's say that. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll say I did like Damian Wayne when paired with Dick Grayson, Batman. Fair enough. Okay. Um, I'd like a rundown haggard, uh, burning the candle at every end. Batman. Uh, I like a penguin, with a scheme that's not exactly what it seems to be and catches Batman with his proverbial pants down. Mm -hmm. um, I like there being a peril that Batman cannot easily fix, uh, like with what happens to Tim. I love the art in this. You mentioned where he's at the socialite thing and there's the bits of his costume and he's putting them around. And in just a nice little touch, uh, they do a couple shots that are close up on Bruce wearing the cowl. And he doesn't, like, have 
anything around his eyes. Like you could see the skin around his eyes through the cowl because you're that close up, you know? Right, he doesn't have the eye black. He doesn't have the eye black. And typically the eye black is something that you see only in the movies and the TV. It's not as pronounced in the comic books because usually they'll just draw like white little slits or whatever it is. Or everything's just blacked out or he's in the shadows or whatever. But that was such a cool little art touch that they did in this issue that I really, really enjoyed. Um, I know you said you're intrigued by the beeping of the last page thing. Well, I said it's something that I want to see where it goes because I honestly think because Alfred kind of knew what it was. I think it's the beginning of bringing Alfred back somehow. Yeah, you think so? That's completely out of left field by me and I have no proof for it. But the fact that Alfred's there in the beginning one and now, you know, what's he's spoiler alert, he died issues and issues ago. I have a feeling this is somehow to bring him back. They, I 100% see where you're coming from with them, but I don't think they need to bring Alfred back. I think they get, they, there's still more mileage to be gotten, just like we've seen over in Nightwing of Alfred being gone. Right. And well, them reminiscing about Alfred and what Alfred means to them now that he's no longer here for Alfred to come back. Um, this isn't something that I feel very strongly about. This isn't something that like is going to break the book for me, but I really think you can keep Alfred away. See, I'm leaning because I don't want to give too much. Away. I'm leaning towards an AI Alfred. Huh? Okay. You know what I mean? But I then know. isn't Batman now just Tony Stark? And I know how much you loved when Spider-Man was Tony Stark. Well, see, but Batman and Tony Stark are more similar than Tony Stark and Peter Parker are. Both billionaires, both, you know, people who have tragic origin stories, as all superheroes have nowadays. But um, I don't know. We'll see. I'm just saying uh, I liked what I read. So, yeah, it was a really good first issue. And then you uh, kept the Catwoman thing separate, I guess. Yeah, just because it's, you know, a, a different story, which I do think because they touch on Catwoman in the beginning of the series that, uh, uh, that this, these two stories are going to come together. I believe in Chip Zdarsky to, to, to bring them, but, uh, we end up finding Catwoman, um, is, is doing stuff. And I don't want to give too much away from this story because something happens that affects in the main story, this one, but the underbroker shows up, uh, to, with like villains and stuff like that. And usually he's somebody who handles people's accounts and money. But we also find out in this that when uh, somebody passes away, that he will do a, uh, a, a will reading. That's not exactly legal because he does, uh, he, you know, for villains and stuff like that. And, uh, he ends up having to read a will for someone. Um, and he ends up at getting Catwoman to track them down, uh, the the 10 people that are on the list for the will. Um, and I actually found it fascinating because I like the new, uh, I can't think of the, the robot character uh, who shows up, who kind of helps the underbroker. And the way Catwoman acts, she's like, I really, I'm not a detective kind of a deal. But if you wave cash or and or shiny things under Catwoman's nose, she'll kind of like, you know, kind of be interested in that stuff. So, the bits and the bits of the fallout of the main story that I don't want to mention uh, actually intrigue me. So, like I said, as a little afterthought, an epilogue to this, I think it works really well. Yeah, it it helps when the backup feature is more directly tied to the main story. A lot of times in the Batman books, because Batman is the one of the higher priced uh, DC books, 
they have the second features in them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the second features are more more like fleshing on a new character or something that we're going to get to eventually. But this Catwoman stuff is almost directly involved with what Bruce is doing in the main story. Right. And the fact that it's both written by Chip Zdarsky, like the Joker one had uh, Tinian doing the Joker story. And then there was the punchline story in the back that wasn't written by him. So the feel was completely off, Um, even though it's Batman and Catwoman, two different characters. The, you know, he has a style, you know, a way, so it doesn't feel so, like, different when you're reading it. Exactly, exactly. And I, like I said, I think that helps quite a bit with a, mm-hmm. a story like this, with a new creative team coming on the book, a new arc beginning, and all of that. Right. So let's get over to uh, Saga 60. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is uh, written by uh, Brian K. Vaughn, art by Fiona Staples. Now I'm going to start with the end, and not the end of the book, but the end of the, or the beginning of the letters page, uh, that they are taking a break, but they're going to be back in February. Okay. Uh, so again, I knew it was coming back. I just um, was hoping it wouldn't be a huge long break, and it's not that long, you know, but mm-hmm. it's long. Uh, so the story starts out here with the invest the investigator person who has been on the hunt for Alana throughout the story here. She has he has Marco's mom and he gets to be the one that breaks the news to her that Marco is dead. Mm hmm. And obviously she has an adverse reaction to not only being interrogated by this uh, this person who, uh, you know, definitely has evil intentions, but to find out that her son is long dead. Right. Uh, things, however, are going well uh, for Alana, that they are selling their... Um, their formula on the streets because now they have a license after their adventure with the, uh, the pirates there. Mm -hmm. And to celebrate, they get to go to whatever this universe's version of Chuck E. Cheese is. Right. Uh, what was it? It was Douglas Z. Douglas L. Zabby's. Douglas L. Zabby's. There you go. And it's not a restaurant. It's a rave restaurant. Which is fantastic. Right. And uh, it's good to have stuff that we're reading here, uh, reading here, watching here, what have you, um, you know, have these Chuck E. Cheese analogs, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we do get the uh, the bit here where Prince Robot the Fourth uh, gets to kind of deal with his, um, his feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Hazel and uh, again, you know, there's like more foreshadowing in regards to them kind of coming back here at some point, because, of course, the the book is being told from Hazel kind of reminiscing on the past of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get a big kind of cliffhanger ending sort of thing. Yeah. Now, you mentioned in Batman that you feel as though whatever is going on. Uh, with what is introduced in the last page of the main story is them attempting to bring back Alfred. Mm -hmm. I think, especially in this, this issue, you know, not to say that they haven't been really hammering it along, but why do I get a strange feeling that they're going to bring Marco back somehow? 
And I have a completely different feeling on that, that they're not. Okay. Um, maybe they will. Maybe they will. Um, I'm going to get to that in a second. I'm going to touch on a couple of things. Um, I really like the stuff with Marco's mom in the prison with the interrogator. But then, like, one of the guards kind of steps in and helps because of the writer of the book, Heist. Uh, the, that's the name of the guy he, who... Uh, you know, kind of his story's got Marco and Alana together and everything. I like the fact that his word is getting, like, the fact that Alana and Marco have, have you know, put the word out there, gave it to his mother, that it's starting to spread, which the way an idea does. Like, you could see the seeds of that right now, and I absolutely love it. And then, like you said, with Hazel, I think more of this issue is Hazel coming to, saying she came to terms with Marco, her father's death. And when everything happens and leads to the crescendo of this issue, by the way, I get goosebumps every time I look at the last couple of pages and I get choked up. Yep. Um, I think this is the hammer that drives it home for Hazel. And I think this is the, the, epi- the, the beginning of a change for Hazel. Like uh, we keep talking about, or in the book that her childhood is, was, you know, everything that's gone on. I, I grew up fast. I think this is like the epitus to just change the big change. If you get what I mean, you know, she's finally accepted it. If, I don't know if I'm making any sense whatsoever. No, you are. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I absolutely get where you're coming from. It's just, I don't know. It's just, this issue felt like them hitting so hard on all, like not to say that Marco hasn't been a through line of these last six issues, but with the uh, opening and the close of the story being so Marco focused, mm-hmm. I just have a feeling. I don't see, know. We're we're gonna see him pop up again. Two things. I think it would be a big cop out. Uh, though, if anybody could do it, uh, Brian K. Vaughn could, and uh, Fiona Staples. You know what I'm saying? So I'm gonna leave that there. If they did it, I believe they could make it work. But I believe it would be a giant cop out. But I think you needed to completely drive the point home with Marco to make the end of this issue emotional. If you just mentioned Marco once, mm-hmm. it'll be like, Oh, but you do all this and then do a couple of the flashbacks he, as a storyteller and an artist, they know exactly what they were doing. You have to remind the reader if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I, I trust Brubaker. I trust Staples to tell the story. Uh, um, yeah. Like I said, I'm not putting money on this. You know what I mean? I'm not taking action or looking for odds on it, but I don't know. I just right. got, got a weird feeling about it is all. But listen, I, I'm probably wrong. I've been wrong many, many times before when it comes to stuff like this, you know? And I've been wrong and I'll probably be wrong again, but you get right. what I'm saying, so. Uh, so that's uh, what we read this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Nailed it this time, not like last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com, uh, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is you get your books before worn, before armed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Todd is currently in the lead over me with five correct guesses. Woof. There's still like a whole uh, extra, like half a year ready to go. Yeah, but I got a whole lot of lies in the tank to keep that lead, Joe. Uh, I guess. I don't know. So since you started the show, you guess first. Right. 
um, is the book you're looking forward to most um, not written by Mark Wade, Daredevil number one? It is Daredevil number one. Uh, surprised it's not on your list because it's, uh, you know, obviously he's been on the book for a while. I know you're a Chip Zdarsky fan, but it's a new number one. It's kind of like a fresh relaunch of the character, kind of getting it away from everything else that he had kind of built up during Devil's Reign. Uh, but hey, what do I know? Um, you want the answer to that or would you rather just guess my book? It's because I didn't know it would be a fresh start because a a number one from Marvel does not mean a fresh start. Touche. Um, where it was like, okay, all this stuff happened, and then I guess Elektra was Daredevil, and, and that dark, was it Dark Rain kind of a thing? Um, a Devil's I, Rain, yes. Devil's Rain, that was it. I felt like it might be convoluted, and I didn't know how much I need to know to go into this. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Like you're saying it's a fresh start. I do like Chip Zdarsky, but I do buy Batman. I buy his new burn, um, so blah, blah, blah. You sell me it on next week, maybe, maybe I'll come around on it. For sure. Uh, And I think the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week, the leanest week for you in quite some time. Yes. Uh, I'm going to guess Rogues number three. It is Rogues number three. There you go. See, I didn't lie or nothing. I better not be lying. Mm. Listen, win or lose, I want this to be as honest as possible, you know? Well, I'm as honest as possible, so. Not very honest at all. Wow. There you go. Uh, so, uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and the current, uh, position for Todd and Joe Have Issues, uh, the second standard, aka Todd and Joe Go Rogue, attempting to discover who the second best rogues gallery in all of comics is. Uh, obviously everyone knows that The Flash has the best rogues gallery. I think Spider-Man has the second best. Todd thinks Batman is the second best. We've kind of picked the bottom of the barrel uh, of each of their rogues gallery, pit them together in a year-long tournament, bracketologied by listener of the show Grinch McScrooge. And we are currently in the second round with people who had gotten buys in previous rounds. And uh, we're going to have head-to-head matchups of Batman villains versus Batman villains and Spider-Man villains versus... Spider-Man villains, but let's get into the results from last week's voting, huh? Right, I was robbed. But anyway, go ahead. You were robbed? Mm-hmm. You weren't the robbed, were you, I hope? No, no, I was never the robbed. Uh, but yes, as I look at the voting here, Spider-Side moves on to the tournament. Yay, victory and justice have prevailed. I don't know, Spider-Side's so cool, I don't know how he could go on. He's definitely cool. That's why he uh, win. He 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 beat a uh, cosplay pirate. Oh, if I guess Captain Stingery can go off to work for Long John Silver's now. He can go. There's only seven left, so he's got his <laughs> right. pick of the litter. You know. <laughs> yep. Uh, so this week's matchup, as I mentioned, uh, just the way the kind of bracket worked out is, uh, it's a bat villain versus a bat villain, is it not? Yes, it is. It's Glass Man versus the Dodo Man, Joe. I'm a glass man. Anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> glass man, you know, I've, I've done on a previous episode. He's a villain who's glass related, wears a glass helmet. So, yeah, that's great. You can, you know, have that shatter on you. And he ends up dying by falling into a glass furnace. One and done. 
Um, so this week, though, his competitor is the Dodo Man, uh, a villain who we never find out his real name or ever see his face. Um, he is a villain who steals Dodo related items and only Dodo related items. You know, that, you know, that lucrative Dodo black market that you could tap into, Joe, where he would go in and steal paintings of Dodos and stuffed Dodos because, you know, people want to have those in their collection and he ends up getting the best of Batman early on by hitting him in the head because he's dressed as a Neanderthal. He doesn't even really have a costume. He dresses as whatever the the exhibit next to the dodos are. So he dresses as a Neanderthal and then later he dresses as like a Native American thing that's you know, next to the Dodo exhibit. So he really doesn't even have a costume, which is fantastic. He's just so lame about that. And he knocks Batman in the head because Batman didn't think a Neanderthal was going to wake up and get him in a museum. And that's just the side plot. The rest of the book is a really weird plot because Batman got hit in the head. He's living his, he's, he's going out as Bruce Wayne at night being Batman, but then doing uh, Bruce Wayne things during the day dressed as Batman. So that's most of the story. But then a doctor tells Alfred, if you can get him to where he was um, and it happened, maybe it'll reverse. So Batman, uh, Alfred sends Batman to hunt down the Dodo man at a museum and he reverts back to normal and puts the Dodo man in jail before he could sell those rare dodo eggs on you know the deep dodo dark web or whatever i don't know it's so stupid he punches him once and he pretty much knocks him out once he goes one-on-one with the dodo man joe pretty lame uh i will agree pretty lame um so uh, another great one and done batman villain mm-hmm but not a 50s or early 60s one-and-done Batman villain, right? No, no. I think he's 80s. Uh, 78. His one appearance was from Batman 303 in 1978. Right. Hmm. Who am I going to put my vote behind? Do I want to sway the vote? So, obviously, I don't know. I, obviously, I want someone who's easier, right? Mm-hmm. Now... These are two pretty bad lame. These villains. are two pretty bad villains. Okay, I'm not looking at the future matchups. You know what I mean? I don't want to skew things and say, okay, well, you know, do I have a strong competitor? Do I have a weak competitor? Is mm-hmm. it going to be against another Batman villain? Just the way that everything is shook out, so it's a waste of a vote. Um, in comparing these two, I feel Glassman is a stronger pick in the tournament which is why I'm going to put my vote and all of my, you know, my, what, what do they call that? Like my, uh, my, cachet. Ele- my cachet, my electoral votes in this <laughs> behind the Dodo man. Oh, you're a Dodo man. You are a Dodo guy. Right. I can't, so. his, his name doesn't work for the song. No, I know. But, uh, whatever. I, I look at him as two strong, strong contenders. So I think glass man is stronger. Those, Slightly, yes. I think those 50s, early 60s, one-off villains that never come back ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think they just have, like, a... They, they come from a stronger stock, you know? <laughs> yep. A yeah. different era, if you will. Yeah. 
So I honestly thought I had you with the stingery. You know, I really did. And then there was a surge, Joe. Well, and so listen, you want to say that you were robbed. I maybe sent the tweet out four minutes later than I usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I, I tweeted no different than whatever. And I got like 30 votes in my favor. I don't know what to tell you. I think you're using those cake by April accounts. So no, listen, I, in, I'm joking. Uh, and listen, I I want just as I mentioned before with the the poll post, um, you know, I want my win or my loss to be as honest as possible, um, and just like I want this uh, bracketology for the silver standard uh, to be as honest as possible. You know, see, I'm a heel. I want to win by any means right. necessary. That's the difference between me and you. Right. I'm a win good any person, cost. and you're a bad person. I am. I'm a terrible human being. So, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We did have a bunch of art attacks this week. Uh, So, from uh, Jeremy Dennis, he had two. Uh, One from Andrew Lee Griffith. Um, He ended up getting a Superman. It says, I was able to make a new addition to the Superman blank sketchbook. I started pre-COVID with the Silver Age take from the artist. I absolutely love it. And I think that's a great piece. I like that you could see the pencil lines. Like you can kind of see that Superman's head maybe turned a little bit more to Superman's left. And then he was like, no, no, I don't think that works. So I'm going to have it more straight on. So you can kind of, as you always say, you can see the process. Yes. I really like that you could see that he was like, I don't like the positioning of this figure and he changes it. And I think it worked for the better to tell you the truth. Yes. And the uh, artist there, Andrew Lee Griffin, uh, as Jeremy mentioned, it's almost silver age take. And uh, I love the, and again, I, I would hate to say sloppiness, but I would love to say like, I love the unevenness of the S Okay. I think that really like makes this piece pop the most outside of like seeing, you know, the process lines and like where the sketch was originally going and where it ended. Um, it's definitely a great Superman piece. Right. Loose. The S is loose at the top, tight at the bottom. Yep. I like that too. And he also, uh, from Livio Ramondelli. That's how I'm going to say the name. If you missed it yesterday, I got this Vader sketch of that thing that happened from Obi-Wan. And it's basically, if you haven't seen it, but it's the cracked helmet of Vader with uh, Anakin underneath. Uh, And I love that scene. So this really like looks great with the black. And then he went with a red color, like to maybe, you know, imitate that the light from the lightsabers on him, whatever. Love it. Love that scene. And I think he absolutely crushed it and captured that moment. For sure. Um, And one of the tougher things that I noticed to draw, especially in a situation like this, uh, usually it works better when you don't use as much black or you get to use a little bit more coloring digitally or otherwise is the eyes on Vader's helmet. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the way that the artist handled the eyes, obviously one is smashed out, but then the other one is kind of hidden in the shadow of the position of Vader's helmet. Mm-hmm. That's very smart artwork. Yes, because it kind of hides the Vader part, yes. but you get the from the rest of the helmet. Like Vader's silhouette you could just work with. And right. then you have the Anakin smash part, so it works really well with not overwhelming you with detail. kind of. Yes. Part. So... 
Um, also, Joe, you uh, posted a retweet of an art attack from Annie the Kitty, a.k.a. Becky. I made a romance cover homage, um, and it's a cool uh, homage of young romance where somebody's getting kissed, like a woman's watching the man she loves apparently getting kissed. You can see the reflection in her sunglasses, and she ended up doing a Spider-Man cover. Uh, but she did Gwen Stacy uh, with Mary Jane and Peter kissing in that famous upside down uh, kiss from the spider, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. And that's actually like, you know, to knock off that cover, which is cool. She admits it's an homage, but to do the Spider-Man, like all the Spider-Man stuff that she incorporated is actually really, really smart. Yep. Uh, she knows her stuff. She's a great artist. And she didn't put the full process of that one up. Um, I, earlier in the day, she was trying to work on uh, an X-Men blank. And it's just so interesting to me that the blank um, covers mm-hmm. that Marvel does, that at least according to her, that the stock that they use on X-Men covers is different than the stock that they use on the Spider-Man and other book covers. It's really, and I, I, I'm gonna defer to her. I totally like she'd know because she, she pulls books and she, you know, draws on them. But yeah, the, from what I heard, there's real no rhyme or reason to what more, like the quality of the covers. And most artists like hate certain ones and love other ones at Marvel. Yeah, it's just like she has a rogue process here, and it says X blanks are still the worst. Can't use any inks on this at all. Right. Um, and then of course, you know, I know uh, she has really been. Uh, hammering home uh getting like um as much of the collection and just getting the history of those old like 50s and 60s romance uh books Mm -hmm. and the fact that she was able to kind of ape uh you know one of her favorites there in that spider-man cover and it's almost like pitch perfect you know yes it is yes she did an amazing job but she does amazing work you know and also to, to to anybody, if you see this and you are interested at the you know recording, it is available to buy. She said before it hits eBay, so mm-hmm. I don't know if it's hit yet, but maybe if I, I end up finding out that it's on eBay, I'll post the link. You know what I mean? For sure. Um, and finally, Joe, I had an art attack. It's been a while. What? Uh, I'm not going to sing the song. It's been a while, but uh, basically, uh, I got a Saint of Killers by Glenn Fabry. Uh, he's my favorite character from Peacher, and Glenn did such beautiful covers. It was no brainer when the chance arose what I was going to get, and he ended up doing a uh, half body uh, Saint of Killers with the Saint of Killers shooting me, Joe. That's what it looks like. It might look like it's shooting you to you, but uh, I absolutely love this piece and this is one of those pieces that i have to say i because i i put them up on facebook you know like that's what kind of where i archive them i really don't do much else the way you use facebook just for promoting lvac and your pokemon stuff i guess um i just use uh facebook for uh archiving my art and this got a ton of likes oh yeah and, uh, i love this piece i also use my facebook to uh promote the uh weekly uh, post from the comic shop. Oh yes, that's true. That too, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, this uh, Santa Killers Glenn Fabry piece is great. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic, and it took me at like first or second glance to realize that it was Glenn Fabry because it's black and white, mm-hmm. and his colored stuff, his painted stuff has such a unique look to it and you very rarely see any of his stuff done in like this black and white style and 
This may be blasphemous. This may sound crazy. I like this look better than his normal stuff. Um, I like it too. The reason, because I won't get into numbers, the reason I got this was because a full body piece was twice what this was. And then a colored, like he'll do colored pencils, which kind of looks like his paintings. Right. Would be double what like if i got a half body would be double what the half body was and then a painting was quadruple what i was gonna I say it's a double double yeah the double double so i was like um i'm you know i'm balling on a budget if you get my meaning mm -hmm. so i just went with what i could get and like there there's some interesting stories about glenn fabry doing art so i the way that this popped up was the only way i was going to do it i would okay. never go i i went through a, a rep because I would never go through. There's some. There's some bad stories about uh, Glenn Fabry and art uh, that may even make you think he might be a little worse than Kevin McGuire. Really? Yes. Yes. Mm. So, but I got mine, and I'm happy. We'll talk, pal. Yep. Uh, so hey, uh, I don't know where to put this, uh, but I'll be mentioning it here the next couple of weeks. Uh, we don't do digital stuff anymore. Digital sales, freebies, or otherwise. Uh, from listening to other podcasts, specifically House to Astonish, uh, as I understand, Comixology through Amazon is still not doing great. Um, so much so that, like, Chip Mosier, the guy who, like, made Comixology just recently left Amazon. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't want to say it's a sinking ship because it's not. These books need to come out in a certain way. But. Comixology, Amazon is where you can get everything. Marvel has their own separate thing. Marvel Unlimited, I think they're currently like three to four months behind on like what the uh, like the release schedule is. It used to be six. I think it's at least three or four now. Um, and it's just like this huge giant back catalog of Marvel comics. Uh, you don't have to worry about going through whatever the Comixology web reader, anything else like that. I've seen a lot of people that I follow putting their pictures up on their nice tablets and everything, and everything looks great. Um, for the next month, they're ha having a sale. If you sign up and get a year, it's 60 bucks, which I think is half price. Right. Uh, you just use the code MUSAVE60. Uh, if you sign up for Marvel Unlimited, again, they're not a sponsor, not anything else like that, but I know our listeners like comics. Um, you know, many, many years ago, I used to decry Marvel Unlimited, but as I understand it, they've actually worked on it. It's gotten better. Um, you know, nothing is perfect, but there's not a lot of missing issues like there had been in, in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and they do a better job, not a great job, but a better job of linking stuff that crosses over with other stuff. Um, you know, like when there's like a Deadpool or Punisher crossover and you read that punisher book and it reads over to the dare the the deadpool book let's say it does give you that option to go to that deadpool book instead of like trying to find it in the catalog you know mm, that's good yeah so um again there's still holes in that there's less holes in actual runs of stuff they're constantly putting new stuff up there and if you're not a day and date reader if you're three to four months behind anyway five bucks a month and you get like a huge catalog of stuff definitely check mm -hmm. it out yep uh, another thing to check out, of course, is our T Public store. Uh, you can find that over at tinyurl.com uh, slash longboxheroes. You can get designs inspired by this show, by After Dark, by Add Odds with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, um, 
everything else over there. And for the next day or two, they're doing free shipping, which they never do. Um, so definitely check that out if you're interested in getting something there. Uh, you could get the shirts and pins and stickers that we have of our fancy logo that were made here uh, by our good friends at the LVAC. At least the shirts were. Uh, you could c- click on the little store button and get those. You could sign up for our Patreon as little as a dollar a month. It's going to get you two extra shows a month from Todd and myself. One, Piro Mounties, looking at the films of independent filmmaker Mark Piro. The other, previewing the past, uh, which we look at 30 years ago, this month's previews catalog. We just recorded July 1992 this past week. Uh, that, if you ask me, had at least four first appearances in it <laughs> right. uh, to really jack the price of that book up. Um, and also that buck at that, you know, uh, introductory level, you also get full scans of all those previews catalogs that we're talking about. All of 92 up to date is there. All of 91, all of 90, I think is there. If not, it's going to get there eventually. Um, but even if you just want to look at those old catalogs, a buck a month and you get all that cool stuff, professionally done scans by an expert. Yes. Some would say. Uh, $5 a month is going to get you those bonus shows two weeks before everyone else. And it's also going to get you long box heroes after dark two days before everyone else. So you can listen to everything in the correct listening order. And that's patreon.com slash, uh, long box heroes. Last but not least in the plugs, Amazon banner, it's prime days, plural, uh, any tons of deals, tons of crazy stuff going on with Amazon, Uh, This appears to be a better year than most. Uh, You know, I remember there were years where the deals were like PlayStation 1 controllers, and that was within the last like five years. Uh, But it looks as though there's tons and tons of really good deals, Um, you know, rock bottom prices on a lot of stuff, a lot of buy one, get one. Any and all purchases that you make through Amazon, be sure to click our banner first. They uh, call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets cut of the money. Yeah, I like the way you're going to do it on After Dark better, though. Well, that's the way that I do it on uh, uh, Ad Odds with Wrestling. Oh, really? I've never heard it. Oh, well, well listen, I'm sure you uh, you do the skip through the plugs, you know? Oh, yeah, I, that's yes. Right. Um, but yeah, if you don't listen to After Dark, go, or if you don't listen to Ad Odds with Wrestling, go listen to After Dark. Because I do an After Dark Amazon plug there. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this week include, like I said, I always love seeing people buying comic books. Uh, somebody bought the most recent issues of Amazing Spider-Man, Saga, uh, something called The Very Final Last Girls Number 6. And then randomly, somebody bought uh, Captain Carrot and his Amazing Zoo Crew Number 14. And that makes my heart feel so good, Joe, honestly. Yeah, of course. Fantastic. Uh, I'm always going to put any sort of uh, comic book purchase, uh, you know, single issues, digital stuff, graphic novels, hardcovers, anything. Those are always getting mentioned in the Amazon click through plugs, etc. cetera. Uh, somebody also purchased Transformers Studio Series um, Dinobot Sludge action figure. Mm-hmm. And then of those new uh, Marvel Legends uh, retro deals. Uh, somebody purchased Nova and Firestar. Firestar. Somebody's trying to cre- recreate uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. No, no. Again, I looked at the box. It says Firestar is the logo. It does not say Spider-Man. So uh, it does not fit the collection. Ah, rules. You got to stick to them. Listen, 
if you don't have rules about if you have rules about collecting and you don't stick to them, then they're no then you have no rules for collecting. Then it's the wild, wild last of doll collecting. It certainly is. Doll Safarian, some would say. Ooh. Uh, so thanks to anyone and everyone who's bought something from the T Public Store, bought something from me directly, signed up for the Patreon, made a purchase through the Amazon click through this week, this month, this year, this whenever. All of it is greatly appreciated. Mm-hmm. And I think if I didn't miss anything else, we can get into TV and movie talk. Yeah, I believe so. All right. Now, would you like, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was say, would you like me to take Ms. Marvel? Uh, sure. Go ahead. You take Miss Marvel. Okay. So last we uh last we saw in Miss Marvel, Kamala has been you know transported back to India in 1942 at the train station that you know her great grandparents uh were at. So uh we get to see Aisha, who is Kamala's great grandmother, and she's you know on the run from I can't uh, blah 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 the uh, clandestine because she has the the bangle. Um, we think that, you know, they're going to attack her, but they're, they're still friends. They just, she feels that they just got separated. So, but during this time, Aisha has fallen in love with Hassan, who is, you know, Kamal's great grandfather. Um, and they have uh, a, a life there and, and Santa, her, her uh, grandmother is born and, um, the clandestine show up and, uh, she finds her and she tells her, you only have one day to go find the bangle wherever you've hidden it. And then we're going to go. Uh, open up the uh, veil and so basically she decides to run and they go to the uh, train station and there uh, they end up getting separated uh, the family and Aisha runs into uh, Najma and she ends up saying like you've betrayed me you ran and she ends up uh, killing Aisha so we find out that she's the one who that's why uh, the great grandmother never ended up coming to America later on or anything like that. So uh, Kamala figures all this out and she sees that her grandmother is, you know, uh, lost. And she ends up realizing she's the one who ends up making the path in the story using the bangle to lead uh, his, her grandmother back to her father or great great grandfather and they end up getting on the train giving the story that the family has passed down for years now um so that's kind of cool that ends up bringing kamala back to the present where the veil is opened from uh having a knife stuck in the bangle and they realize uh some of the clandestine try to enter the veil to go back home and they're instantly disintegrated because as they said uh, most likely if we do this, it's going to be bad. going to destroy everything. Um, so uh, Kamal ends up telling uh, Najma to uh, say like, hey, like this is going to destroy everything. You have your son to live for. And she's like, no, I don't. I abandon him. Well, she's like, well, we could s- save all this and we also save him. And she goes, I know how to do it. And she ends up going into the veil and sacrificing herself, but she does shut it. Um, so I think... All the clandestine are dead now, but I have a feeling I'm wrong about that. Um, uh, So at this point, Kamala's mother and grandmother show up and she ends up telling her, telling them I have powers and they end up going back home and end up, you know, discussing everything. And they kind of come to terms, the mother and grandmother. I kind of like that. Um, Meanwhile, back at home, Cameron is on the run 
Um, and he ends up going to the only place that he knows of. He goes to see Bruno, ends up finding out Bruno's name is actually Bruno and not Brian. And uh, he tells me he could stay with him for a day, but then you have to go um, because uh, damage control is looking for you. Um, he's like, okay. But then a drone looking for him shows up and sees him in the, in the house. He ends up using his powers because he got them from his mother when she died. She got, got extra or excess or whatever. And he ends up blowing up the place that Bruno lives, uh, leaving, you know, the end of the episode for uh, stuff to happen. And like I said, with the clandestine, I think there might be one clandestine left. Because after that, who's the villain then in this story? The late, the evil lady from Damage Control? I'm not really sure where they go with that last episode because of everything that's happened here, if you get my meaning. Right. So um, this episode was okay, right? Yep. Um, you can possibly, Todd, uh, as a fellow over 40 white man, could understand how the relationship between moms and grandmothers and daughters may not resonate with you the same way that it may resonate with someone else. Right. Totally. I honestly do. Um, I know we had speculated last week, like, did Kamala actually go back in time or is she just like seeing what happened mm-hmm. in the past? But I did like that she was actually there and she's the catalyst to make kind of everything in her family happen. Yeah, I do like that. That is. Yeah. Uh, like, I did like that they were able to throw that in there to have her be that. And not get too all time travely messing with whatever with it. It just it is what it is. She's the one that made everything happen. Deal with it. You know, yep. there's there's enough people there that she blended in the crowd that no one's going to notice. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you're saying is you think there's one more clandestine person left. I think if there is one more clandestine person left that we did not see get evaporated or disintegrated or whatever. We they are not going to be the through line villain for this last episode because it's the last episode. This was a series that essentially had two villainous presences in it in damage control and the clandestine people. And obviously the two Nary should meet. Uh, but there is a possibility that if damage control tries to bring in Kamala in the last episode and they're unable to do so, that's when they'll make the deal and they'll do the re- do the reveal of, ah, there was one more clandestine person left, you know? Right, right. I don't know. I just feel like I, I don't know. I like the episode, like you said, and some of it doesn't resonate with me. Um, But like I said, I just feel like usually, you know how you have an idea of where the show's going to go? Yes. I just feel real lo- like I'm like, all right, surprise me or wow me because I, other than, you know, uh, and, you know, I'm not trying to go there, but like a white agent, you know, like it goes after the minorities and the thing. I'm like, okay, I, that can be the way you go. But, you know, I just thought it would be superhero. If that may, I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I, I, I completely understand what you're saying. Um, I definitely think this is more to set up that, uh, young Avengers, new warriors, whatever show, just to kind of establish this is the area in which it happens. If, New York is primarily where the Avengers stuff happens. Then Jersey City is going to be primarily where the Young Avengers, New Warriors stuff happens. Yep. And I'm okay with that. Me too. Uh, so then we have the season finale of The Boys, right? Yes, where a lot of 
things happen, yet they juggle it well, Joe. Uh, yeah, so I have a lot of notes, but not as many notes uh, as, like, previous episodes, you know? Mm-hmm. I'll probably bust in on you a few times while we're doing this. Okay. I feel bad I ran through Ms. Marvel, so if you got anything No, no, listen, there's a chance I'm going to run through this uh, here as well. Um, in that uh, Homelander goes to his son. To let uh, Ryan is the boy to let yes. Ryan know that everything's going to be okay because now Homelander knows who his father is mm-hmm. and they could be a happy family. Right. And Homelander, um, you know, he's the villain of the show, but he's also the hero of the show at times because he cuts like the biggest baby face promo in the world to yep. his son. And I love that he has that connection with his son. And his son is like, well, you know, what about last time I hurt you? I attacked you. And Homelander's like, none of that matters. You know, we could be a family. You know what, Joe? Homelander is the dirt worst. Dirt worst. You know that. And I know that. Yes. But you have, like, I, I'm with you on this. He Not only does he cut the white baby, like the promo, he says everything a father should to that kid. Uh-huh. So in a way, like, you know how I talked about, like, Butcher, you know, he did all the right things in the last episode and then didn't tell Huey, which we'll get to in a little bit. And you're like, that changes everything. It's like this, like, I'm like, it almost makes me want to have everything change because I'm like, you're the, you're the good, you're not the good father, but you're doing the good father things, which becomes the through line of this episode of how everybody's father acted and how the, the characters turn out, if that makes any sense. So it's bizarre what they do with the way I feel about characters in this show, Joe. So anyway. Absolutely. Uh, 100% agreement with you in regards to that. Uh, so then outside of Vought Towers, we have the... Um, the dueling protesters. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we have the people that are uh, pro Starlight and Maeve, and the people that are anti Starlight and Maeve. Mm-hmm. Uh, pro Homelander, of course, they would be. Um, and while all that is going on, um, we fi- so uh, they find out because of the people outside and because of everything that Starlight is putting out there, um, people from Vought are coming to Vought Tower to inspect, to look for Maeve, right? Right. So they end up gassing Maeve. Uh, I don't know if it's nerve tonic or nerve gas or whatever it is, but they do whatever they can to try to get her out of there. Mm-hmm. And that goes poorly because whatever the gas is wears off and she escapes and she finds uh, Butcher and everyone else. While that's going on, um, Black Noir comes back, and he's going to work with Homelander because Soldier Boy is coming. People don't believe that Soldier Boy is real or not, but Black Noir knows what a threat Soldier Boy is. He's going to swallow his pride. He's going to work with Homelander in the hopes to bring... Uh, Soldier Boy down, uh, and we get a bit where Black Noir reveals that he knew and knows that Soldier Boy was Homelander's father, 
Homelander gets upset that Black Noir kept this information from him and essentially just uh, disembowels him. Yeah, I like the bit where he's like, you know, I can see everything under that mask. I can see your burnt face, blah, blah, blah. I know when you're lying to me. Did you know he was my father or he was my son or my father? I was his son. He goes, yeah, like he goes, yes, kind of a deal. And he's like, he goes over to him. And when he disembowels, he goes, that's not for not telling me. That's for lying. Like, you know, kind of a deal. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then Black Noir just passes on while all the Chuck E. Cheese characters are wishing him glory in Christ. I'm like, this show can't get any crazier, Joe. It uh, can't. But it does. It does. Uh, so then A-Train uh, goes to his brother, who's essentially a paraplegic uh, because of what had happened with uh, Blue Hawk. Um, A-Train is fighting with what happened, I think he realizes that he's the one who killed Blue Hawk, but he's trying to convince himself to believe the lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, his brother knows he's lying and essentially tells him to get out. Um, and obviously everything that A-Train has done has been like the inspiration and alongside of his brother. And his brother's like, this isn't how I wanted you to do it, man. I don't want you to kill you killed. I never want to see you again. Get out of my house. Get out of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, did we miss the part where uh, Huey gets abandoned by Butcher? Yeah, well, we didn't mention it. Yes. Okay, go ahead. So basically, they're getting ready to take Soldier Boy to do the throwdown with Homelander. And they're in a gas station bathroom. And Butcher... Butcher ends up talking to him, you know, as he's coming out of the bathroom. And I love the fact that he's holding that hubcap key for the for the gas station bathroom. Right. He's like, here you go. And Butcher says, you're the spitting image of my brother. And he ends up clocking Huey, knocking him out, and locking him in the bathroom with the key. So, nobody, so you know, until he wakes up, nobody's going to be able to get in doing it, thereby freeing Huey from the responsibility of taking the compound V. Last week where he's like, he, we thought he lied to him. He couldn't say, he couldn't tell him the truth because this is at least what I feel. He couldn't tell him the truth because if he did, Huey probably would have said, I'll risk it anyway to kill Homelander. So he did that. He did what he did. He had a lie to him so he could knock him out and leave him and save him, if that makes any sense. So I really like that because now I'm back around on the, the butcher train. So it's crazy, Joe. So uh, Huey gets the ride back uh, from Starlight. He kind of admits and apologizes and everything else to Starlight. And Starlight gets to give him a I told you so. And he gets to say how he never realized how good his father was. Right. Which shows you why Huey turned out to be an actual good person. You know what I mean? Yes. As opposed to all these other dirtbags running around the boys TV show. Right. And... They get back to that, you know, they get back to the uh, hideout and everyone's like, no, man, leave Butcher. He's a jerk. He left us. He kind of messed us around and screwed us around. And Huey gives them the line, man, and says, none of that matters. It doesn't matter what he did to me, what he did to you, what he did to anyone. We save everyone, no matter how good or bad they are. Yep. You know, if we're the good guys, then we save everyone. Doesn't matter if they are good or bad or whatever themselves, right? Mm-hmm. I do uh, like the fact while home, uh, Homelander, Soldier Boy's going with uh, Butcher, he ends up explaining to his 
like his origin and the bit where he's like, so I was, you know, uh, a rich guy's son and I never lived up to anything that my father could do. So I ended up going to his war buddies and I became, you know, I got them to give me compound V and I became the superhero and he ends up, uh, you know, this and that. And he's like, well, what did your father say to you? He goes, you're a disappointment to me. You took the shortcut. And like, once again, I know soldier boy's a, a, a homophobe and he's a racist and he's a terrible person, but no kid should ever have to hear from his father that they're a disappointment, which right. like hurts so bad, which may rhyme later in this episode. <laughs> so the precursor to that is, uh, Soldier Boy asks Butcher if he ever watched the Soldier Boy origin movie, right? Mm -hmm. How he was a tough kid from Philly and everything else like that. And he essentially says that the whole thing was a lie and then gives his actual origin as you just did there. Right. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, it's okay. So again, obviously it was just the context of it all, you know? Mm -hmm. Um. So of course, Butcher has the one last bit of compound V. Huey has his one last bit of compound V. Uh, you know, they both kind of take it with them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so they're, they're on their way, they're on their raid to whatever it is, but before they go, Maeve shows up and they have the nerve gas, the nerve tonic or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And she tosses out the window. Like, she's like, this isn't going to work. You know, you're going to pull this a fast one on me, whatever. So now they all have to go to Vought Tower because uh, Frenchie thinks with what the chemicals and stuff they have there, he can make it. Yes, he's like, the one place on Earth that'll have it is the place that's knocking out superheroes, yes. uh, Vought Tower. Right. So they're on their way there. Homelander's killed uh, Black Noir. He shows his remaining crew Black Noir's busted up helmet. And the rest of his crew is the Deep. A-Train and Ashley, and he gets to humiliate all of them in front of each other, specifically making Ashley take off her wig. Okay, I have a question for you in this scene, Joe. Go she, ahead. She, she takes off a wig to have a bald wig with some strands of hair, so it's a wig on wig. It's like wigception. Yes. Like, what did you think of that? I thought it was hilarious. Yes, and sad because... Maybe something comes up with Ashley that kind of, ooh, anyway, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's all good. And then he tells A-Train, or not A-Train. The uh, Deep. The Deep, he has to do a job for him. He's got one last mission that he has to do. Mm-hmm. Um, while uh, Homelander, because he knows everyone, like, he says, you're not my family, you're all worthless. You know, uh, he essentially runs them all down in front of each other, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Deep's mission is to go kill off this evangelical guy? No, his job is to go kill off a politician. Okay, right, but he like he came across as like very like evangelical, religious, whatever. But he's like the front runner for the vice presidential nominee for the guy that Vought is grooming yep. to be the vice president. Right, to be the president. Right, yeah, yeah, but this is like the vice president guy that he goes and kills. Oh, yes, I thought you meant the guy Vought was grooming, but yes. I'm with you now. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the heroes show up at the tower. Uh, Homelander is ready to go to take them on, and he's got Ryan there with him. 
And Homelander gives the big speech to Soldier Boy. And just like Soldier Boy's father did to him, Soldier Boy looks in Homelander's eyes and tells him he's a disappointment. Maybe if I was there, you wouldn't have been. Joe, that broke me. I got goosebumps as you're saying that right now. Just the way they did the scene before and now they did the scene, I was like, fantastic. To, To my thought process, I was like, maybe Soldier Boy has learned a lesson from this. And I'm like, yes, he has learned a lesson. He's learned how powerful those words are to say to someone. Yes. And Joe, at this point, we're seeing literally all the characters but Hugh, well, and Huey turn out to be their father. Like, Huey turned out to be a good guy, even though Huey's father was broken. But you look at them all, like, they they established that Butcher became his father with last episode with the flashbacks. Soldier Boy became his father. Homelander became Soldier Boy. It's, it's really, for a stupid show about superheroes beating up on each other, it's a really smart show, Joe. Yes. I, I don't know. I go off too much, but yeah, it's really smart. Uh, so where things take a turn, um, after Soldier Boy tells that to uh, Homelander, Ryan uh, kind of gets in the way and Soldier Boy swats Ryan. Yeah. And it's from there where now Butcher and Homelander are on the same page because that's their kid. And I would just like to say, I just got goosebumps again uh-huh. where where he knocks the kid and Homelander and, and Butcher step out of the room shoulder to shoulder uh-huh. and they just look at each other. And they realize, hey, my enemy, the, 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 the enemy of my friend is my whatever. You get what I'm saying. I'm all messed up here. But they just look at each other and they're like, we got to protect Ryan. And they become allies. I'm like, I, if you had told me at any point in series four that Homelander and Butcher fought on the same side, I would have laughed in your face. Yeah. But it worked. And I marked out Joe. So they do, they, they do a really good job to try to get you to believe that Ryan is like compromised to a permanent end with all of this mm-hmm. um, in a little bit of a fake out, but obviously he has powers. He's going to be okay. No matter how strong soldier boy is while that's going on. Uh, Frenchie is working on uh, making the nerve gas and a bunch of the security people come in. And then we get a bit with uh, Kamiko using music as her muse. <laughs> and she puts the song from flash dance on in her earbuds uh she's a maniac while she annihilates and destroys all of the uh, security people coming in and trying to stop frenchie right and i would just like to back up a little bit i like the fact that kamiko smacked the, the spectrox out of frenchie's nose earlier in the in the episode and gave him a talking to yeah like button up and fly right you're better than that and then frenchie gives mm Uh, talking to like yeah you're broken let your daughter see that and let her learn from that like like people all these people giving like speeches to people and i'm like there's a lot of good advice floating around this episode (laughs) and of course we get the bit where starlight goes and uh faces off with soldier boy huey is up in the uh the control room to get the whole building evacuated because that's the main thing that they've been trying to do the entire episode is to get vaught tower evacuated because if soldier boy's on his way there and he goes thermonuclear he's going to kill hundreds if not thousands of people so while he's up there he's got the compound v he's thinking about doing it but instead he switches all the lights 
up to supercharge and superpower Starlight so that she can distract or take down or stun or whatever she ends up doing uh, to Soldier Boy while she's all superpowered up. And uh, again, allowing her to be the hero and let Huey be the one who just helps. Yep. And I don't mean like he saved her, but he did help her, like you said. So he gets to he gets his participation trophy. And I don't mean that as a joke. I, I'm glad that he didn't take the V and he ended up, you know what I mean? Like yep. being able to do something, you know? Uh, so while Butcher and Homelander are on the same page to protect Ryan, Maeve is not. So Maeve is fighting Homelander. Mm. In her battle with Homelander, she ends up losing an eye. Uh, but in all of that, oh, sorry. Can't wait for your wife to see that scene, but go ahead. Oh, it's going to be a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in the ultimate moment of sacrifice, as Soldier Boy is about to go thermonuclear, Maeve dives, t- takes him out the window, sacrifices herself, so that uh, Soldier Boy, when he explodes, it's around as few people as possible. Um, and as Homelander leaves with Ryan, um the effects of taking so much compound V has its final effects on Butcher and he collapses. Mm-hmm. And they use the gas on Soldier Boy, I guess. Yeah. And they take him away to the FBI headquarters or whatever. Right. Uh, well, they're, yeah, they're going to go put him back in a containment tank, essentially. Right. And that's the last of Soldier Boy we'll ever see in this series. Sure. Definitely. Definitely wasn't a fan favorite character that everyone wants to see get his comeuppance. Right. Uh, so at the hospital, uh, while Butcher is watching the Remembering Queen Maeve uh, promotional material on TV, mm-hmm. uh, he is told by a doctor that he's got maybe 12 to 18 months to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, M.M. is getting a chance to kind of explain to his daughter everything that's been going on. Um, and back at the boys or back at uh, Starlight's apartment. Uh, we find out that Maeve isn't dead. She somehow survived. uh, But now that everyone thinks she's dead, she can kind of get lost, go to a farm upstate and attempt to live a normal life. But that's not before Ashley and other Ashley see security footage of the boys saving a very much alive Queen Maeve after uh, Soldier Boy blew up. But uh, they delete the video. They have that knowledge, but they delete the video. Which I thought was cool because Ashley, you know what I mean? Yes. You know, a lot of gray, as I always say, that was a a cool, cool scene. Uh, So even though she's a super powered person, everyone votes that Starlight can be in the boys. Mm -hmm. Uh, Butcher comes in and everyone's like, ah, we don't care what Butcher says. We're overruling his vote. Butcher comes in. He's like, ah, she could be in. That's fine. And then that's when they see the uh, news story that with the uh, passing of the potential vice presidential candidate, uh, the big presidential candidate that Vought has been pushing for has a new vice presidential can- uh, running mate nominee, whatever, and it's the head popper. Yep, and Butcher's like, she has got to go. Right, so now the boys have their first mission. Um, however, there are still protesters outside of Vought Tower, and uh, most of them are pro-Homelander, uh, and mm-hmm. Homelander's very happy about this, and uh, he goes down, and he wants to show them something special, he wants to introduce all of his supporters uh, to his son, mm-hmm. and he has his son come in, and there's a random errant uh, detractor. 
to Homelander, who like chucks a can at Ryan. Yep. And uh, Homelander just uh, evaporates the guy's head to a round of applause. And a, and a smile by Homelander, and maybe a smile by Ryan. A look of realization. Maybe. Uh, yep. it's, it, there's, there's nothing that beats a Homelander smile. No, I'm not saying it's better, but it's just worrisome, Joe. But there's that, you know, it's right at the end, and he's not looking directly in the camera, but he's looking close enough into the camera. And it's not quite a smile just yet, but it's like a knowing look of acknowledgement that, like, I think I'm going to like being my dad's son, you know? Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Um, and couple, roll credits. Right. Two things i just like to add really quick. I don't think we've seen the last of Maeve, since we know that Compound V brings back powers to people who had them, like Kamiko. Yes. I have a feeling she's going to come back when Soldier Boy does for the big ending. That and one little thing that I was talking to Adam about. You know how Starlight throws her costume in the incinerator when she joins the team? Yes. I have a feeling. I said I have this weird theory that throughout this series we're going to lose superheroes, like you know, because they get killed by the the team, and this and that, and people are going to take off their suits because, like Starlight. They're not, you know, going to like, she doesn't want to have it anymore. No matter what, no matter what, Homelander is not giving up his super uniform. And I think by the end of this all, him being the only person in a superhero outfit is going to make him look 10 times as ludicrous compared to like when there's no other people in costume. You know what I mean? Like when you're the only one now, and I don't mean yet, he's going to, it's going to, add to the weirdness of it and i'm, like, and I'm all here like no it. more deep no more a train right no more anyone else it's just gonna be homelander is like the last of the costumed people i don't want to say heroes but the last of the costumed right. people any a costume powered person and in the end like even if mave comes back and compound visa like she's just gonna wear clothes you know what i mean so when all these people are fighting it's like Here's the Homelander with his red, white, and blue cape on, and it's just going to look more more ridiculous in a in a in a crazy way. That's the that's the only thing that I can think of. So, but love this whole season. This was the best season of the boys. Yes, but I'd like to go back and watch them all again to make sure. Yeah, you sit down with your wife and watch them all. That day will come. Yep. That day will come. Right, and you, we still have one more thing to talk about, Joe. We still have one. Luckily, we started early. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, Thor: Love and Thunder. Uh, boy loses hammer. Boy gets new hammer. Girl finds old hammer. Boy longs for old hammer. Uh, Christian Bale's gonna kill everyone. Uh, I thought Russell Crowe was Gene Hackman. Um, <laughs> you thought who was Gene Hackman? Russell Crowe. Oh, did you really? Yes. Because oh listen, God. I knew nothing about this movie going into it. I knew Thor was in it. I knew Jane Foster was in it. I ha I knew that Christian Bale was playing Gore, uh, because it's based on that Jason Aaron storyline. I didn't know what he looked like until they put the preview images out of him because he's in the Marvel Puzzle Quest game. Mm-hmm. Um, like I didn't, cause like usually when they put somebody who's in the movies in the game, they look like how they look in the movie, you know? Right. Um, I thought the Guardians of the Galaxy would be in it more. Nope. Um, 
like I said, I avoided everything about this movie. I don't need to know what's going on in these movies. I'm going to see the movies. I want to like, I want to see the movies, right? No, I gotcha. I just laughed that you said it's Gene Hackman because Gene Hackman retired from film in 2017. Well, I thought, well, it was earlier than that because I think the last movie he did was like Welcome to Mooseport. And I know we talked about it here on the show. Um, But I'm like, oh, Gene Hackman's looking okay. And then I'm like, oh, no, Russell Crowe's not looking great. Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) That pendulum swung fast. Yeah, yeah. Um... So, uh, apparently no one likes this movie. But you, right? You like this a lot. I liked it a lot. I had a blast. Um, um, it, I... had like, it had, like, six awesome action sequences. Um, you know, I, I liked the humor aspect in it. I liked that they had this big grandiose plan that we're going to go and recruit all the gods. And then we're just like, now nah, we just needed the Thunderbolt and that'll be enough, you know? Right. See... See, like, we could do this movie, like, bits and pieces, but we're not. Um, Basically, I went to see this with a couple of people, and Scott gave the best review of it. He goes, I went to see, I I went to dinner, right? And I left full, but my dinner was a big old, a whole birthday cake. That's what I ate. And I was like, that's the best description I heard of this movie, um, once again, and I know like we differ on this. I, I, I like humor, but I think like in this one, the balance, even in Ragnarok, I didn't like it, but I thought this one was way off and I'm not a fan of Thor just being a big, dumb, stupid kid. You know what I mean? Like that's what Thor is. He's just a big oaf. And I'm like, okay, you can maybe go that way with Thor but I'm just like, oh, my God. And then when the God Butcher, which he's cool, like, most of the time, until he does his crusty the ventriloquist bit from the Gabo episode. Yeah, that was – I, uh, I and that becomes, part stuck out to me. Sure. Was the Joker. I really like – okay, here's the stuff I like. I didn't like Jane sometimes as Thor. The whole – and, like, the whole cancer bit. Was like Natalie Portman being as Jane Foster, being able to do her acting and stuff like that. And I loved it. But like, well, she's like, okay, the world is at stake. Kids are missing. We have to go save them. But I really need to work on my catchphrase for fighting. Like, what about eat hammer? And I'm like, we're just like, there's kid, like, go where you're going. And like, and I understand they want to fill it out, but I feel like the director was just like, if you like 10 jokes, you're going to like a thousand jokes. And I'm like, okay, I get it. And then they kind of kill Zeus, but then uh, they didn't. And and uh, the rock guy, I can't think of his name, who's the director. He's Four. dead. Oh, no, wait, he's a living face now. I'm like, okay, so we, we do kill Natalie Portman, and that stays, well, for now, whatever. I'm fine with that one. But it just seems like a lot of, like, fake-outs in this movie. Um, I enjoyed it. Like, I had fun, but I didn't like it. You know, I don't know how to explain it. I thought it was okay. I liked it. Um, and I think just because of everyone else's reactions to how much they didn't like it, I sit mm-hmm. here and I think to myself, I'm like, am I a dumb person for liking this movie? And I think to myself, I'm like, no, those are just two different things. 
I like this movie and I am a dumb person. The two are independent of each other. <laughs> right. I'll agree um, with that. Make, liking this movie does not make me any more dumb or any less dumb. And me being the amount of dumb that I am does not affect my enjoyment of this movie. Um, you, I remember when we talked about Ragnarok, you didn't like the humor that was added in here in that. So I knew you weren't going to like the humor that was added in here. Um, I think they tried to do a little bit more romancy stuff, but they tried to do rom-com stuff as opposed to romancy stuff. Well, they tried to do a love triangle with the hammer. Right. Like that's where it gets in where the hammers become characters and it's like the axe would come into like Stormbreaker would come in and then the hammer and I'm kind of like, you know what, just stick with the Jane Foster Thor, you know what I mean? Right, right. And I, I get where you're coming from, but I like to see so many things that were on the printed page of the Jason Aaron comics. That I will say. I, I uh, totally agree. I don't think that he got a nice big paycheck for it, but I let, I sleep better at night hoping and praying that he did. I say this. I say, I stand by this, that writers and artists of a storyline you liberally homage i'm not yeah. gonna say steal from i'm gonna say homage they should get the same paycheck any screenwriter gets for that movie uh-huh to i totally uh, that i should be on board with that that being said uh the bit where the hammer was keeping jane foster sick yeah the, every time she turned into thor which is told take turn stole directly from jason aaron's run when she's in bed and thor gives her the speech like i need you to live because i need you and she ends up like, okay. And then like all is, is, is at, you know, at the end and the hammer hovers to the bed, which is what I remember from the comic. Like the uh -huh. hammer comes to her and she makes the decision that broke me. Like that was beautiful. And she goes, she's like, I'd rather die a hero. You know what I mean? And I'm like, all right, I'm down with it. Natalie Portman, you're awesome. You know? So. Right. And that, so that's the thing. She doesn't really, die. she dies. But she doesn't really die, die. She goes off to Valhalla. So right. that's just as much as a superhero place that our heroes can visit as whatever the big place where all the uh, all the gods were where uh, Zeus was in charge, right? It's slightly different, I feel. Anyway, well, you, get, you get what I'm saying. Like, it's if she's dead, she's dead. But she's not dead. She's in Valhalla. We can get to Valhalla. We'll figure out a way to do it, right? Right, we can get you back from there with that yeah. magic glowy thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, I loved, like, the entire soundtrack was Guns N' Roses. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, we, yeah. so it didn't make it as weird that a 10-year-old boy uh, changed his name to Axel from his favorite singer. You know, all the 10-year-old boys in 2022 that love Axel Rose and Guns N' Roses. Yep. Um, I will say this, though. Um, I, you know, all right. I wasn't big on the humor, but you know what made me pop every time, Joe, every time, uh, the goat screaming. Yep. Every, every GD time there was, and I would just burst out laughing. Not just, you know, like, hmm, that was funny. Every time they showed up, I'm like, those are the, the scene stealers of the movie. Yep. Uh, and I think they have toys of them too. So they, they, they and like, plushies. and plushies and everything else. So like, they have a feeling that those things are going to be marketable, whatever. Right. Right. Those are uh baby Yoda, like light kind of a deal. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
And if those plushies don't scream when you like squeeze them oh. or pull a string on them or something, They're then apparently they hate the money. You know, that's right. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and I do like the fact that uh, that they turn New Asgard pretty much into Disney World. Yep. It was like here's our way to knock a bag on Disney World, but make it New Asgard. So, so I mean, there I know was good were, stuff. They were in the first movie, um, and they were in this one as well. The actors that are doing the story of Thor. Okay. I know uh, Matt Damon is low key, right? Right. Chris Hemsworth's brother is okay. That's Thor. Okay. So, right. Right. Okay. I don't know which one, but he's the one that's on Westworld, the t- the TV show on HBO. Luke and then Hemsworth. Hella was Melissa Luke. McCarthy. Yes, and M- Melissa McCarthy is the other one. Yes. I uh, see. Like the humor, I do. I have to give them credit for the way they would recap everything. Yes. Because they did the the recapping with the terribly effect play in New Asgard, and I was like, all right, this is funny. And then uh, who's the rock guy again? Who's the director? I keep uh, Korg. Korg. Where Korg would. I do kind of want to see Korg and the guy from Ant-Man team up and recap the whole Marvel Universe. Yes. And that would be fantastic. Or get that troupe together and get other actors to re-shoot everything. I would. That's fantastic. And uh, Sam Neill uh, is Odin. Yes, him crawling away. Yes. When they do the, oh, I'm dying, and then he's throwing the confetti. <laughs> he's like, let me crawl off stage. Yeah. And the hammer flying effect was the best thing in the movie, uh, in the in the skit, when it was just yeah. on a wire. Uh, and I liked, I liked how the, the Jane Foster hammer, because it was broken, like she can control it to like break apart mm-hmm. and come back together. I thought that was so cool. Yep, you gotta have a new power each movie. Yeah, and and you have to have a slightly differently tweaked costume so we can sell a new action figure. Oh, Joe, they do that in the books just so they can do that. <laughs> Artists love designing new costumes for the chance at an action figure. Yep. Though I do hope Walt Simonson got money for that helmeted version of Thor that shows up. He's like, oh, I have a helmet too, yeah. kind of a deal. Because that's just swipe from Walt Simonson. I'm like, once again... He should get the check that all the screenwriters and uh, and uh, storyboard people get. Right. Are you ready for the things that I really didn't like about the movie? Uh, what are you gonna say? Nothing. No. Um. <laughs> so they're at. Um. So there's one that was kind of like an ongoing one, and there was one that was a specific moment. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they're at like Zeus's palace or whatever. And Korg gets all broken up, and then he's just a face, right? A face? And not the face, but a face. Okay. And uh, they they need him because he could do the whistle to bring the goats, okay? Mm-hmm. And he's their buddy, so they have to save him. How does he whistle with no lungs? Right. Well, no, 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 no. So, because uh, Valkyrie has to fight, Valkyrie ties him with her hair to the back of his head, okay? Mm-hmm. To, to her head. And then we get a couple shots of Valkyrie doing stuff with Korg on the back of her head, right? Right, with a hair mustache. And that is maybe some of the worst special effects I've ever seen in any movie ever. And I've seen a lot of movies. Like, the fact that that's a $200 million movie, they did that. And they said, yep, that looks good enough. Let's let's go with that. That looks good. 
because uh, it looked re- like it was jarringly bad, right? And like I, there were people like dunking on like, oh, the scene where like Heimdall's kid is talking to them, like with his like Heimdall powers. That's a bad special effect, or this a bad special effect, or like there's even a bit where Taika Waititi uh, put up online of him making fun of how poorly he edited the movie, mm-hmm. on like how there's a scene where uh, Jane and Thor. And Valkyrie and Korg are talking, and as they're cutting back and forth, like, the color that Korg is is going from, like, more gray to blue on the editing. Right, and and there was a scene where Thor wakes up from his, uh, what do you call it, like, vision to go see Heimdall. Yeah. And he scares, uh, he scares Valkyrie. Yeah. But they move that scene a little later, and she still jumps. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I get what you're saying. So, uh, again, like, okay, you're making jokes about it, so I guess we can't make fun of you, but that was really bad. Mm-hmm. And Jane Foster's helmet, Todd. Oh, I love the helmet. I Oh, Todd, I love the helmet, too. But you know what? When we cut from one scene of them walking and she's not wearing the, like, it's a two-on where they're t- the two of them are walking toward us and she's not wearing the helmet. Then we cut to a shot that's kind of like a side profile shot where Thor is in the foreground and Natalie Portman is kind of like to her right. And now she's wearing the helmet. Then we cut back and she's not wearing the helmet in this shot. Like literally they're walking down a hallway. And as they cut shots, sometimes she has the helmet on, sometimes she doesn't. As they're cutting back and forth through the same shot. And it's not like I'm prepared for battle, so I need to have my helmet on. It's we're talking. And the helmet just goes on and off, on and off in the same scene. No, okay, I never noticed that. Oh my god, Todd, it was driving me nuts. Right. Um, I was explaining this because, uh, long story short, uh, someone was supposed to go with the movies to us, and they had a family emergency and they couldn't. So they were asking me what I thought of the movie, and I'm with you. Like you know how you said like that happened and the editing and like, the best way to, that I thought to describe this movie was like everybody looked like they were having so much fun making this movie. And Chris Helmsworth says, you know, I didn't want to do Thor <laughs> after two. And three was really fun. And as long as it's like this, I feel like they're all getting together and they're doing what they want and they improv stuff and they just throw it in. I feel like it's a local, like, like a small town city. Like we're having a film festival and let's just make a film and it's going to be fun. We're going to kind of use the script, but if we go off script and I like it, we'll throw it in. So be zany and do it. Just do what you feel, Thor. Just do what you feel, and we'll make a movie. And I feel like that's what they're... And they're more interested in in having fun making a movie than making a movie. And that's, like, my my review of this movie. And I'm okay with that. If <sighs> it works. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of people will say, and I think the director himself, Paul Feig? Paul Feig? The director? That... The director no. was... Okay, I thought you said Who's the guy who did the Lady Ghostbuster movie? That's Feig, Kevin Feig. Feig Kevin Feig. Feig. Yeah. Okay. So Kevin Feig, right? So he very freely admitted that, like, they just had some fun with the movie. They had, like, a loose outline and, like, here's some ideas. But, like, if Melissa McCarthy wants to riff for 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. uh, we can kind of clean that up and maybe have the best, like, 15 of that be in the movie, right? Right. Uh, whether it fits the plot or not, or whether it's funny or not, but I'm where everybody's having fun. And if you watch any of the back material or the making of for that movie, Chris Hemsworth's in that. Everybody's having fun. Everybody's having a blast. Everybody's improving. 
sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I think in Thor 4, it does. Okay. Do you want to see the four-hour cut, Joe? Yes. Of course you do. Yes, I do. Okay. You know I, what? I like that this movie was two hours and change, like two, like right around two hours. I think it was like the runtime was like 156. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to have more fun with these characters and I want to see them say, do silly things. And I want like there to be fun action sequences with uh, Guns N' Roses playing over it, you know? Oh, the fact that, you know what I think might get me is they never used Thunderstruck for Thor. And that would change my whole outlook on this movie. Well, ACDC is uh, pigeonholed as Iron Man music. I agree, but you know what? You could you could slide one over. You slide one over, you change my views. All right. It's been a while since I've you know put ACDC over on the show. That's true. It has been a while. Mm-hmm. But I liked it. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I ended up going to see it by myself. And uh, if time permits, I would absolutely go to see it again with uh, April and Asa. There you go. That's the best uh, review you could give. Yeah. Like, we'll watch again in a movie theater. hmm Because I don't think there's anything else coming out. Uh, you know, obviously we have, like, Boys Just Ended. Miss um, Marvel only has one more episode. We're not doing... Um, Sandman. We're not doing Sandman. Uh, we might talk a bit about it somewhere. Um, She-Hulk, I guess, is the next thing, and that's, like, not for another month. Right. Uh, that's August. And then, uh, movie-wise, we have Black Adam. Are you interested in that? Okay, we'll come back to Black Adam in just a second. Then we have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Now, do we, because... Uh, there was a trail, like I, you know, I went to my Dirt Mall theater uh, that only has three trailers before it. You know, you know more, no less. And one of the trailers was uh, Into the Spider Verse Two Part One, and it still claimed that it was coming out October seventh. But I'm almost a hundred percent sure, as someone who covers these sort of things for a comic book podcast, that they moved the release date of that movie back the next summer. Uh, I don't remember because our notes have it as October or October 7th with an arrow pointing to June 2nd, 2023. That, oh, I thought that was where it was originally at 22. Nope. I misread. I got you. Fair the, enough. The, the arrow goes to the right. Is the, I, I, it took me a second. Okay. I looked really quick. I was right. running through them. So, uh, and then, uh, black Adam. Uh, so that was the first time I seen anything black Adam other than the toys. Mm-hmm. That I see everyone posting about. Apparently, the toys are real nice, right? And uh, Todd, how come no one told me sooner that the Black Adam movie is essentially just a stealth JSA movie? I don't think it's a stealth JSA movie because I feel like it's the characters that he had in the evil JSA. Okay, do you remember? Like, yeah, we have Doctor Fate and Hawkman there, but remember, Adam Smasher ended up joining. In Conda Hack or whatever the name of the, the country was, it was like the JSA had to go in and smack down the evil group. Yeah. I feel like that's what he's building. Will JSA spin out of it? Maybe, probably. Because it had uh, Adam Smasher, it had Doctor Fate, and uh, someone else, right? Hawkman that I saw. Hawkman. There you go. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like. Uh, I couldn't get a good feel for the movie from the trailer, which is a bad uh, thing. Like, I should be able to get a feel and a tone for what your movie is from watching the trailer, but I didn't get any of that from this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I wanted to see more of uh, Timothy uh, Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate. Yeah, you were going to say uh, the other Pierce guy Brosnan. who played James. Yes. Or Timothy Dalton or whatever. You were right, going to say wa- Timothy Dalton. He was a different Bond. But yeah. yeah. I, I want to see more Dr. Fate and less of The Rock. And I love The Rock. Um, but this definitely feels like The Rock is like, I need a superhero franchise. Which superhero kind of looks like me? And they're like, well, we can make one that looks like you. Uh, we could like, you know, make Black Adam look like you, The Rock. And The Rock is like, all right, let's do it. And I'll be in that movie. Um, well, he was the dream casting for what, a decade now? Something like that. On Black Adam. And I agreed with it until, until The Rock got bigger than what Black Adam should look like. Todd, like, wait a second. Like, it's almost like he's too muscular for Black what are- what are you insinuating about The Rock, Todd? That he has an amazing work ethic. There you go. An amazing work ethic. Eats a lot of good food. Yes, he bulks up. Yes. Moving plates around, Joe. Clanging and banging. But I don't know. Like, I might see it. Who knows? But, like, I don't think there's anything coming out until, like, October, if, the, if like, my uh, my listings are correct, and they are. Um, yeah, I know we have Black Panther in November, which is right. a, which is going to be a definite. Yeah. And I'm calling my shot now. I mean, other people probably have said it, too. I have a feeling with Black Panther 2, we're going to see Doctor Doom and Namor in it. You think so? I honestly think that's where they're going to drop it for, yeah. uh, like, a United Nations thing. Right, and then the only other thing I have to readjust, like, the order of the list, just because as the dates have changed. Um, so we have, uh, you know, like I said, Black Adam coming out in October, Black Panther coming out in November, and then Captain Marvel Shazam 2 coming out for Christmas. Okay. And then everything else is 2023. Yep. Interesting. As you Interesting said. indeed. So... I think that was a full episode, Joe. Oh boy, you ain't kidding. It's almost but you know like what? We... They'll, get, they'll get shorter now with no TV and stuff. Right, like right. We only have one show and then no shows for like three weeks after that, you know? Yep. All right. Well, everyone, thank you very much for hanging in there with us, listening to episode 614 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying, see you all next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.